TheOAMNetwork.com. Power to the podcast. To the Bike Nerds Podcast. This is episode 41. For you, the listeners of the Bike Nerds Podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30 day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Kyle Wagonchutes, what mm-hmm. are you listening to? So I've finished now listening to Catalyst, the Star Wars novel that is oh, the hey. prequel to this week's premiere. Of the dun, Rogue, dun, the Rogue dun, One dun. movie, so I've just I just wrapped it up last night actually, and James Luceno is a super good Star Wars author. He writes he writes bad guys and villains really really well, and this one did not disappoint. And I'm super stoked for the movie to start this weekend. Now having you know sort of like gotten the whole backstory, I'm I'm ready. I'm primed. I hope it's going to be awesome. Awesome. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash OAM. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash OAM for your free audiobook. So I feel like this Star Star Wars movie like doesn't have as much promotion around it like the one that came out last year. Is that, there... that is accurate. Why? Well, you know, there's a little bit there's a little bit of I think um, Disney and Lucasfilm trying to set expectations appropriately for it. I mean, it's it's a Star Wars movie, but it it doesn't follow sort of the main storyline of Star Wars, and so I think they're expecting you know the box office results compared to last year's Force Awakens to be substantially less. You know, you can't have like a world record breaking box office every single year, and so I think they're just I think they're just sort of like priming this a little bit to be. For people, so people's expectations aren't so high for the performance of it. I still think it's going to do really, really, really well, but not by comparison to last year's. And so I think the promotion and everything has sort of, you know, gone hand in hand with a much more, uh, much more subdued uh, marketing campaign. Now that being said, I think I think the promotion that they're doing has been pretty good. And there's a lot of like cross promotion with like weird, you know, like I think like Nissan. Has like a bunch of like Rogue One commercials out. Oh, um, I saw like a bunch of like clothing brands just this past week release new products that were Rogue One themed. So um, I think it's going to be good. I think they're just trying to like make sure that people understand this is not you know world record breaking kind of right. expectations. Cool. How many times do you think you'll see it? In the well, I've got tickets to see it twice already. Um, okay. Carrie and I are going to see it Thursday night, Thursday the 15th. Um, we're going to – just she and I are going to go and see it in 3D. And then the next night on Friday the 16th, which is like the actual official release day, um, Carrie and I are going. We're going to take Ethan with us. And then we're going to be joined by like 12 people from work and their families. Oh, how nice. Did yeah, you we, organize this? I did. We basically bought a whole row in the theater. Um, and so – 
Um, a couple, Dr. Bouldry, who was on a few weeks ago, um, she and her family and uh, my boss, Martha Ruskowski, and her family are going to go as well. How nice. That's a great idea. Yeah. And I'm going to try to not spoil it for them all day long on Friday. Oh, gosh. Actually, that won't, that won't be a big problem. I'll probably get my, my, my big problem is going to be trying to stay awake all day Friday uh, to make it to the second premiere. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, I'm, I'm super stoked about it. I'll probably, you know, go see it again uh, sometime over like the holiday break. Um, I'm thinking there's an IMAX screen here. So I'm thinking about that. I might want to go see it in IMAX. Ooh, yeah, that just, feels like a lot. It feels like a lot, right? I want you to go see it in in IMAX. To How many times are you going to go see it, Sarah? I want to go see it zero times. (laughs) I can say that with like almost 100% confidence. Why are you not going to go see it? I I didn't go see the last movie. Oh. (laughs) If I I was still in Memphis, you would go with me. I know. I would have. I would absolutely, but you're not here. You can go with John Paul. What's the girl to do? Yeah. Just borrow John Paul's Jedi robes. (laughs) Go to the theater. You've got it all figured yeah, out. It's, so it's, I'm also so this is some, something else I'm doing. This is a super busy week for me from an extracurricular activity standpoint. Um, Tuesday is actually Carrie's birthday. Happy and birthday, so, Carrie! Yes. I know she listens. Shout we out to Carrie. <laughs> she's like actually, she's like I listen to Kyle talk every single day. I'm I don't never need listening. to spend an extra hour listening to him ask questions about bikes. Um, but on Tuesday, we're going to drive up to Fort Collins. Um, have dinner, and then we're going to see the Jay and Silent Bob Get Old podcast um, that they do. They do they, they they tour and do this podcast. What? And so we got tickets to go see it up in Fort Collins um, on Tuesday. I didn't know that existed. Yeah, so it's like Kevin Smith and Jason yeah. Hughes from Jay and Silent Bob. Um, yeah, Kevin Smith is apparently doing like a, a gajillion shows in Colorado for the next couple of weeks. Um, both his solo question and answer show – but also this podcast recording, they sort of alternate dates, and we tr- were trying to figure out which one we could go to, and it turned out the night of her birthday, we were both free. Um, that's so, awesome. Yeah, that's what we're going to do. Just you know, keep going with the podcast all week long. Yeah, I'm excited to hear about that. That's really cool. I didn't even realize that existed. Yeah, it's kind of aspirational, I think, for bike nerds. You know, could it is. We, could we sell out a theater at 70 bucks a seat? <laughs> And then just talk on stage for an hour. Yeah, I mean, we've been discussing what our goals are. <laughs> I feel like that should be maybe a long-term goal. Maybe so. Very long-term. I Very long-term. <laughs> maybe unachievable. People are like, I would pay $70 not to see the <laughs> Pass. So, Kyle, let I want to talk about just your week one last time oh, in terms of the fact that I was it's trying snowed. To avo- I was trying to avoid older. talking about this. Um, How are you? I'm hanging in there. I would say I'm 90% there. Uh, <laughs> because today the sun is out. Good. It's warm enough that the snow is melting, so it looks like it's raining outside. Um, but it, it's been a tough week. Um, Did you bike at all or you just bust it? I had to bust. And, here, and here's why. Because I literally – my bike is it sounds not, like an excuse. It is. My, my bike just couldn't handle the snow. Um, I couldn't get out of the driveway. Um, it, so we got we got five and a half inches here in Boulder, and Ethan and I woke up the next morning, got ready for school. Of course, there's no school's not canceled. No work, work's not delayed. Uh, <laughs> are you? Like, I hear you like giggling in the background. Um, Life's moving on as usual. Yeah, 
And uh, we so Ethan didn't feel comfortable riding his bike, so he was going to ride on the back of mine, which is which sometimes happens. And we couldn't pedal out of the driveway. Our driveway has like a slight incline, and my my like skinny slick road tires just couldn't couldn't get enough grip for us actually to ride the bike together up up our driveway. Um, and so we abandoned the bicycle. I walked him to school and grabbed the bus into work because here's the thing. If, if I can't make it up my driveway on my bike, there's some hills on my way to work that I know I wouldn't be able to get. No, I feel like you made the right decision. And yeah, it was also, I mean, it was also 10 degrees, um, 10. That's a a singular syllable. Um, So it was really, really cold. And yeah, for the rest of the week, I, I, I actually rode the bus the rest of the week, both because the conditions got like, you know, slushy and icy and nasty. Um, Some roads got cleared pretty well. And some, some are still sort of even today still covered in snow. Uh, probably because the way that the sun hits hits them, I guess. Um, but it was just, and they they very well could be covered in snow for the rest of the winter. No, no, I think I think I think today they're they're today and tomorrow it's going to be warm enough that they that all this snow disappears. All but right. but but the temperature last week was just brutally cold. You know, it was like two in the mornings. It would get up to like twelve or thirteen in the afternoon. Um, just you know, just ridiculously cold. Um, so that's my excuse. The bus was toasty warm both ways, <laughs> well, there you go. both going and coming. Um, I'm just glad you survived. Yeah. So I'm, I'm probably going to take my bike in. I, you know, I usually get like a tune up over the holiday break. Just I, I do a little less riding that, that during those couple of weeks. And so I usually get a tune up. Um, but I'm probably going to have them change out the tires, put some tires that have a, have a little bit some more knobs on them, a little, a little grippier. Um, and probably also get some fenders. Because it, if I'm, I, it's not just that it's like snowy, but it's also like dirty snow and slushy yeah. and wet and muddy. Um, and so I think it's probably time for some fenders as well. I cannot wait to hear about this transformation. <laughs> um, what about you? How's the snow been in Memphis? You know, it has been delightful. Yep. I biked oh. to the farmer's market today. I, and I saw that people were ice skating. It's so cold in Memphis now. Yeah, it's so cold. There's an outdoor rink on the Mississippi River <laughs> in downtown Memphis. What does it take to keep create ice <laughs> I can't Memphis figure right out now. how because it's not covered. <laughs> I'm unsure. I mean, the weather is kind of like it's cold, right? Is it, it's is like it actual ice or is it like outside. that? Is it that fake plastic stuff? I don't. No, because I didn't even know there was an option that wasn't real ice for an yeah, ice cream. They have like, they they have like these like warm weather um it's like PVC plastic. It's like a special plastic Ugh. compound that goes down on the on the ground and it's supposed to be like ice like. Um, I feel very strongly against that. Well, I'm sorry, but it's so people can like practice like ice skating year round in their garage and stuff. Um but what you're saying is you think it's actual ice in downtown Memphis? I think so. I wonder what the environmental costs are for creating an ice, a skatable ice rink in downtown Memphis. Um, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> They're calling it an ice rink. Okay. I'll I'll send some text tomorrow and figure out what what it actually is. We can report. Yeah. We can yeah. report back on the podcast. <laughs> uh, but no, I've been. Uh, you know, it's getting cooler here, but I've like made a commitment that I'm going to bike more this winter uh-huh. in solidarity with you. Thanks. 
Um, I feel, so, it feels thin, but, uh, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so I biked to like the wine bar on Thursday when it was like 35 degrees outside. I felt really, really Ooh. proud of myself for I that. Kinda, I kind of feel like 35 would feel awesome right now. The like five minute <laughs> bike ride. <laughs> I feel like people here would be like in t-shirts if it was 35. <laughs> yeah. You know uh, what, but no, you know, things are good. You know what I did notice, which is I, there's a there's like a, a strong sense of irony that I have when I when when I feel like super cold. Um, I I was noticing that um, there's a school that's sort of walkable distance from my office, and on like rainy like slightly rainy days or slightly damp days, I will. It's noticeable that parent more parents will drive their children to the school rather than letting them walk or ride a bicycle. And there's a substantial amount of walking and bicycling happening right. at this middle school. And so it's noticeable like when, when you go to – when I go to work on days in which parents are driving their kids more often. And on the snowy day, you know, necessarily so, it was noticeable that parents were driving their kids to drop them off rather than making them walk through the snow. But here's the kicker. As kids were like opening their doors and like jumping out of their SUVs, these kids were like in shorts and t-shirts um, running into the middle school. And I was like, you know, if it's so cold that you've got to drive your kids, you know, the half a block to the school to drop them off and add to the congestion and the traffic all around the school in that morning, don't you think it'd also be like equally responsible to make your kids dress appropriately? This feels a little judgy, um, but yeah. yes. Yeah, right. Judge, judge away. Um, <laughs> they're, they're, they're backing up all the traffic around the office, um, but they couldn't get their kids to put some pants on. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I just felt like, you know, if if my kid was going like, to make me drive him to school because it was cold yeah, out, I would make him dress appropriately. Yeah. <laughs> The least he could do. Sorry, that was just my my little soapbox for the your, week. Your rant. Yes, um, I get considerably more grumpy. I think um, the colder that it gets. Ooh, it's something to look forward to. Yeah, this will be great. This is our first winter recording podcast, <laughs> so only time will tell how it goes. Yeah, it may just be like the Kyle's really negative podcast uh, after a while. I think he needs to get warmed up a little bit. <laughs> So this week we have Chris Carr. Yes. Who's the chair of Bike Walk Chattanooga and is also the vice chair of Bike Walk Tennessee and a friend of us both. And yep. he does GIS mapping for the TVA and he's super cool. I was privileged enough to spend some time with him in Chattanooga over the summer for the Tennessee Bike Summit. Yeah. And had a blast. He's really cool. Uh, he's a good person, both you know, in his professionalism and work and advocacy, but also just as a person to hang out with. He's a a very good guy to sort of just kick back and relax a little bit with. Solid. You know know what's really interesting? I thought about this afterwards, but uh, when I was uh, with Bike Walk Tennessee, I was both the vice vice president of the board and the treasurer. Yes. And the two of you, Chris Carr is now the vice president and you're the treasurer. You've assumed – You've assumed my roles. I was actually thinking about that as well. <laughs> How kind of like it was kind of surreal the three of us talking in three different time zones, <laughs> all having been on like or currently serving on in, in an executive like committee role for Bike Walk Tennessee. Yep. Yep. <laughs> cool. So, should we do this thing? Let's do it. 
you know, um, for the longest time, it was just um, he and I, and um, and P, we would introduce ourselves, and it would be so funny because it'd be like, Hi, I'm Chris Carr, I'm Chris Carson, and people would kind of look at us funny and get us confused, you know, just because the names are so similar. Yeah, that's that feels like a good like way to like prank somebody. Is like you could have done something and easily blamed it on the other the, each other. Um, yeah, with very little repercussions, I don't think. Yeah, I think I think still people actually still <laughs> see see my name in Bike Walk Chattanooga and still secretly think it's Chris Carson. <laughs> so if um, you if you if you listen to this, Chris, you get a little shout out because. Uh, People still uh, think that you and I are the same person. <laughs> <laughs> I think that only works to your favor if, like, he ac- accidentally wins the lottery one time, and they think that, yeah. they think that you're him. Right, right. Good thing he did. Good thing he did a good job. He was, he's a very affable guy, and um, and so you know, I you know, I'm sure that you know, I followed in some great footsteps, and and I'm happy to. You know, take his shoes. Yeah, yeah. He was like an engineer, right? If I remember right. Yeah, he sure is. Like, He's like, a, a, like an environmental engineer or something. That's right. Yep. Wow. Look at that, Sarah. That's a memory for I'm you. Taking the, yeah. mem- the memory back old school. You're good. You have a good memory. A Some, skill you've proven sometimes. in the past. Yeah, it's not always good with names, though. I just wanted to know what Chris actually does, like during the day. Yeah, so I work uh, for the Tennessee Valley Authority, um, and uh, it is a a very large um, federally owned electric utility company uh, that was put on the map uh, by um, President Roosevelt, uh, FDR, and, um, you know, been around for 85 years, very large company, but um, I actually moved to Chattanooga to take a job to work with this company. I work in uh, the uh, GIS uh, field or geographic information systems, and um, I do a lot in, uh, in you know, with mapping and uh, making uh, making maps, uh, creating data around maps. Uh, do a lot around web applications with mapping, um, and you know, work with uh, TVA. Um, I guess TVA assets around, you know, our generation plants, transmission facilities, um, and transmission towers. Uh, we own property and manage property along the Tennessee River in Tennessee. And, and so there's, you know, never a shortage of things to uh, create maps for and, um, you know, help TVA stay connected on, you know, where things are in the very large service area of ours. How did you get started uh, using GIS, Chris? You know, my um, it was actually a field I stumbled into. I had um, my my dad actually is an environmentalist and uh, and um, worked for uh, NASA, and he had a, a team of of people that were using GIS, and 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 it was kind of at the time. You know, an up and coming field, and and uh, it was you know back in my back in my teens and twenties, I was 
um, a little hellion wanting to play, not, do nothing but play rock and roll music, you know, <laughs> and I, I, you know, so I, I kind of stumbled into uh, taking a couple of ge- uh, geography classes in school mm-hmm. and, and really fell in love with just the, the overall idea behind, you know, connecting people in places and in geography and and then, um, you know, I realized that there was, you know, a lot more, you know, going to, going a technical route and doing GIS actually allowed me to, uh, to get a job a lot easier, but also, you know, allows me, allow me to kind of build a skill set that, um, that, you know, it, it, even though it's a soft skill, it's still, you know, largely based around information systems and computers and, you know, databases and stuff like that. And I think that it's really paid off. Um, and I've been doing it for, I don't know, over a decade and, and, and it's been a great field. It, it evolves very quickly and, and, uh, keeps me on my toes. It kind of touches, you know, all sorts of different subject matters. And so, uh, you know, you can be, uh, you can be an urban planner or, you know, environmental scientist or, you know, work for a utility company or, um, you know, the sky's the limit and you can be using uh, GIS to help solve solve problems. Yeah, Sarah, have you ever used GIS? No, I think it's like magical. It, I like don't get it at all. Yeah. There's a, there's a little bit of magic to it, right? Um, there is some magic, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it... So I would, because of course, I would consider myself a proficient amateur uh, using GIS. Um, so I, I have like I have like the basics down. I understand, you know, how to create maps and create shape files and use them for some of the basic analytical tools that GIS offers. Um, but but I also recognize that there's a cohort of individuals whose knowledge far exceeds mine. Um, and it kind of blows me away the the different kinds of things that GAS can actually offer. Have you have you ever been able to use those skills in your advocacy work in Chattanooga? You know, I, I, I did. I have not used them really directly in Chattanooga, but um, in in the in the prior uh, advocacy organization that I helped start back in in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Um, I, that's actually how I got plugged in with doing. Uh, bike advocacy was through uh, these planning shreds that were going on um, uh, to to form a big like master plan of like bike networks and sidewalks and trails and um, I ended up being you know the one guy in there that could really put it all together on a map and so I spent a good bit of my free time um, and, and, and use some of the city resources and stuff that, that, that I worked for at the time to do all the mapping for that master plan. So it was quite involved actually, but we had, um, at, you know, it, as a result of, of kind of using those skill sets and then, uh, working with, uh, you know, working in these planning sessions, we came up with this really intricate master plan that, that had GIS data to, to follow along and, to my knowledge, I think you know the the, the city or the the MPO adopted this master plan in their long range transportation plan. The city the city still has all the data uh, available, and um, to my knowledge, you know they've kind of passed it on to some of their consultants that they're doing work with, and and are still utilizing that. So it's pretty cool to to see that happen. How did you get involved in Bike Walk Chattanooga? I know you talked about it a little bit earlier in terms of 
Chris Carson. Because you haven't lived in Chattanooga for too terribly long, correct? No, I hadn't. So I've been I've been here about three and a half years, and um, I, you know, I, like I said earlier, I moved here to take a job. I was in the um, work for local government before in a GIS. Uh, department um, heavily related around uh, transportation, and um, I, you know, I got kind of plugged in to doing you know planning charrettes and 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 uh, being very involved in in the planning efforts uh, for for the city, and um, and so when I moved and kind of took a job in another uh, field, you know, working for an electric utility company, now. Um, it was it was much different, and I still had all these interests um, in in working, you know, on the planning side. And so I started kind of uh, you know looking, reaching out for people. Uh, I think actually Jenny Park was the first person that I reached out to in in, in Chattanooga. That um, I, I I think I found her one day on some random uh, tweet that that somebody had tweeted out and, and we messaged back and forth and I was just like, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm new to town. I'm looking for a way to get plugged in. And, and, um, and she, um, she helped plug me in with, with, uh, the community here. And I started attending, you know, uh, a lot of the planning charrettes and, and, and stuff around the city. And then I realized at the time that there was this, you know, bike advocacy group that was uh, more of a, a government uh, oriented group. It was called the Bike and Pedestrian Task Force. And they were looking to kind of make a split and turn it over to the citizens to run it. And um, so that there could, you know, be the, the beginning of, of some sort of an advocacy group. And so at the time, you know, I just kind of happened to get plugged in. I had some experience doing it. You know, I sat in on some of their st- strategic, you know, visioning sessions and and ended up kind of jumping in and um, and uh, and, and wor- started to work with the group. And, and it kind of organically grew from there. Um, you know, I, I always joke that, you know, in every advocacy group that I've been a part of, which is this too, but um, I'm always the last man standing. And so I always am, you know, immediately promoted to uh, the the head of the group and (laughs) am like scrambling to try to keep it, you know, uh, together. But I mean, anybody who's been, you know, in, uh, you know, nonprofit or advocacy work understand that it's, you know, a lot of work and um, and it's it's difficult keeping things together sometimes. Chris, what what drives the need for an advocacy organization in Chattanooga? I mean, if I think about the city, right? It's a it's a silver designated bicycle friendly community. There's bike share. There's you know professional cycling races and competitions happening there. Uh, you know, the mountain biking is off the chain. So, you know, what's what what's sort of driving the need for advocacy in an environment that seems like um, it's doing a lot of the, a lot of the right things. That's a really good question. I mean, I think I only have my observations from when I've lived here and, and, and the things that I've, you know, heard and observed. And uh, it seems like a lot of, a lot of the, the really huge change in Chattanooga has been kind of more from the top down approach. And I think you've got some amazing philanthropy in the city and, um, and some, some incredible vision, uh, you know, behind kind of putting their mind to, um, 
you know, taking taking Chattanooga from the place that where it once was, which was a, a very polluted, um, you know, industrial river city, and um, and and really turning things around. And and I think it started, you know, with it started as a top down approach, uh, with, but with with private and public partnerships, and um, and made it, you know, kind of what it is today. Um, there, it is that is kind of a double-edged sword, though, because uh, part of me feels like um, in the past twenty to thirty years that there's been a lot of movement on the on the governmental end, or, or, and even kind of the private foundation end. But there's kind of you know there's been lacking this grassroots movement uh, community of people that you know an inclusive community of people that uh, really kind of um, uh, are are controlling these changes and or you know trying to um, trying to make their voice heard on what they want to see done in the city um, and how they want it, um, how they want changes to be made and and so I think that because of that you know no matter how much success you have you know in a in a in a big biking culture or biking city i think that there always can be more um i think that already just the mode share of bicyclists in a in a city like chattanooga is you know under one uh, well under one percent i think um and i think that um that alone you know tells you that um even though there are a lot of great things that happen with with biking in Chattanooga that there could always be uh, a lot of room for improvement. What do you see like the next like two to three years around biking look like in Chattanooga? Is it having folks think differently about commuting on bike or expanding kind of recreational biking more? So we've got a great recreational and, um, and performance-based cycling community here. Um, and I think also we've got, uh, you know, a lot of support on, in, in um, outlying uh, suburban areas of Chattanooga. I think that uh, the, the, the city, um, you know, and the county have invested pretty heavily in, in um, the, the, the uh, Tennessee Riverwalk Trail that um, it, it basically – at this point it's connecting um the state line of georgia and tennessee down in south chattanooga um it, it connects that all the way to uh the chickamauga dam which is uh north of town a bit and um i think the city has continued to see success in in um in de- dedicated facilities and not just from a recreational point of view but also from uh you know a practical transportation point of view and in, in, in downtown chattanooga has continue to grow and and uh and a lot of resident a lot of residential um apartments and condos and even single family houses are are kind of being located and rebuilt here in 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 downtown chattanooga and i think that from a transportation point of view i see uh, i see the the huge need for some dedicated infrastructure around biking uh you know, to to try and control and alleviate the amount of 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 traffic congestion that could happen, and also, um, you know, uh, to increase the quality of life for Chattanoogans that want to move back into the center city and and call you know that area their home. So, um, I, I mean, I see. I see a big investment um, in bike infrastructure in in the city of Chattanooga as a 
a four-year bicycle implementation plan that they're, uh, I think they're a year or two into right now, and and it's and it was, and they've been you know paving bike lanes, you know, um, going for uh, state and federal funding um, to to uh, to increase the amount of bike facilities here. And I think that, you know, that's going to continue to grow uh, as as we become more focused around what bike culture means in a city uh, like Chattanooga. How involved is the bike share program with Bike Walk Chattanooga? Do, do you all partner a lot together? Yeah, we do. Um, very much so. Uh, they have been very instrumental in, I think, a lot of, uh, a lot of the success of um, – you know, not only uh, tourists that, that come and want to ride bikes, but also um, uh, connecting locals um, via bike uh, to um, a lot of uh, the, the downtown city center. And um, they've also been great about, you know, co-hosting uh, events and um, and we've utilized them, you know, a good bit. Um and they were here before we were, and so I think that they kind of laid a, a groundwork uh, in the beginning when, whenever that bike share was funded. Uh, you know, they kind of set the bar high and, and, and really uh, did a lot of advocacy that, that um, wasn't being done by uh, a bike group like ours. You know, they were hosting breakfasts and bike rides and, um, you know, at a lot of public events, just, you know, trying to get out there and, and help, uh, people engage with the, with the, the bike share and the, and the bikes. And, and I think that, um, they continue to play a big role in, in being a, a key stakeholder of, of bike advocacy here in town. Chris, I know that Bike Walk Chattanooga has a pretty close relationship with the statewide advocacy organization, Bike Walk Tennessee. And, you know, while I don't, while I don't think that that local to state close relationship is totally unique in the U.S., I would say that it that it's more rare than than common to have sort of you know really close affiliations between the local advocacy groups and the state advocacy groups. What what's been your sort of experience in in that kind of organizational structure um, in terms of how local and state advocacy do or don't work together? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that it really takes um, kind of this big picture vision of um, how uh, a statewide advocacy group that has its own challenges that are unique to uh, you know that are unique to the 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 size of of of, of a very diverse state. And and then kind of following that down and drilling down into, you know, local issues that may not resemble itself at all between, you know, Knoxville and Memphis and Nashville and even some of the, you know, other, you know, smaller urban areas uh, or rural areas here in Tennessee. Um, so, I mean, I think I think it's invaluable the perspective that you gain uh, by um, having such a centralized um, group like Bike Walk Tennessee, and um, 
in figuring out the challenges that Memphis has or the challenges that Knoxville has um, in, in Chattanooga is the newest into this, this, the, these local chapters that are, have kind of been focused, uh, you know, uh, we're a part of Bike Walk Tennessee, but we're, you know, we're focused on, on local issues. We're focused on local, you know, our local community and events and education and public safety. It, you know, I think it's invaluable. I think I've learned more from hearing the successes and, 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 and also failures from other local communities in the state than I ever did when we were, when I was with, you know, Pine Belt Pathways back in, in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, where we were kind of very separate from Bike Walk, Mississippi, and very separate from other communities in Mississippi that were, that were trying to also be the same types of advocacy groups. And so, you know, sharing resources, you know, um, going and, 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 and actually partnering with those groups to see the types of facilities that are existing in, in other cities, what, ki- what kind of uh, events that they're hosting. Um, you know, I've been able to uh, I've been able to go, you know, to Nashville and see the tour to Nash. I've been able to you know, go to Memphis and see the Shelby Farms Greenway and uh, the Wolf, Wolf River Preserve. And, um, you know, I've got it on my radar to go up to, to, to Knoxville for their urban wilderness trails. Um, you know, I was really wanting to make it up for their tour delights that they have. I mean, th- these are like really huge successes in these communities that, um, you know, I don't know that I ever would have been connected to or know, uh, know about if, if we weren't involved at the statewide level. And I think it's pretty invaluable to have those resources um, and also to know people, the people personally that are running these these uh, these bike groups, and to be able to connect with them and uh, share, you know, successes and challenges. When you look across the state, is there any cities that are doing something that you're like, I really want to like bring this to Chattanooga and make it our own? <laughs> That's a good question. I mean, yeah, of course. You know. I, I think I think we're we're, we're like the in, in the infant stages of advocacy advocacy here in town, and um, you know we've had one open streets event um, that we, that we've hosted here. Um, we have hosted two uh, statewide Tennessee bike summits, um, but there are you know I, you know I'd love to do something like Knoxville's Tour Delights, and actually we. You just got finished hosting um, a a something similar. It was a light your bike ride at um, one of our annual uh, street festivals called Maine by Twenty Four uh, that happens the first weekend um, every December. And I think it's 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 relatively new, but it's it's been going on for the past couple of years. And so, do um, people do people like decorate their bikes with lights? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, they pimped them out. You know, we had. We have people come decorate their bikes. I, I thought I did not know that people would decorate their bikes as much as they did. So, our you know our group kind of paid for uh, a batch of supplies. I had glow sticks. I had uh, bike uh, wheel spinners, and um, I, ha- I actually had bought uh, a handful of uh, front and rear blinky lights. Um, and 
when people showed up, I mean, they all had like Christmas lights wrapped around their bikes. They all were like wearing festive holiday attire. That's awesome. There was, you know, over a hundred bicyclists that were there. Um, We even had a, you know, a a, a pillar of our bike community uh, here in Chattanooga, a guy named Kobo South. He works for a a small bike shop out of one of the neighborhoods called Kickstand Bicycles. And uh, he came on his tall bike. He built, he built a tall bike and he rides it around town. He's kind of a, a famous character around here and, uh, and just a fantastic guy. Uh, so, you know, yeah. And it was, it was great. Families came out, you know, and that's something that was kind of, uh, you know, it was ho- this, this ride was hosted by outdoor Chattanooga, which was a division of the city. And they, they have since just not had the, the personnel or funding to be able to continue the ride. And so we're able to come in and pick that up from them. But my, my end goal is to be like Knoxville because they have a thousand people on their ride, not just a hundred. Um, and so, you know, back to the original question, sure. I looked at, I look at those events like the tour de Nash, you know, uh, I, I, I was able to go this past year and they had out of 1200 riders or something in the tour de Nash, which is just a great urban bike ride I, I felt like they did an amazing job and i would love for us to do something like that you know here in town but um we're starting small and we're working our way up and i think uh i think that it's important you know to 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 start and build slowly and uh not burn out uh in the beginning you know speaking of uh, christmas themed and holiday themed bicycle rides uh i just saw i think on facebook or maybe it came across my news feed that there is a there's a ride up in Wisconsin. I think it's in Milwaukee. It's called the Santa Cycle Rampage, <laughs> and it's like love the word I rampage. Know, it's it's, <laughs> yeah. it's hundreds of people dressed as Santa Claus riding their bikes through Milwaukee. Oh my gosh! And it, sw- <laughs> yeah, you should you should like Google images of it because it's the imagery of like uh, like you know three or four hundred Santas on bicycles like riding through the streets is pretty impressive. I can guarantee you that I'm going to put together an event in 2017 that has the word rampage in it <laughs> for sure. And I will I, make that commitment here on the record. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think I may do a Santa ride. Uh, you know, I, that, I, you know, actually what was funny is, you know, our last event of the year is this next week. And um, river city company here in, in downtown Chattanooga, they're really um, instrumental in, in bringing a lot of of, of development and also uh, programs and events, you know, into downtown. They've actually uh, repurposed several alleyways uh, with public art, and they've called it uh, passageways. And um, they're doing kind of a holiday themed event through these passageways, and we're doing a bike ride, you know, to uh, partner up with them. And uh, the original idea. Uh, that that their you know marketing or their you know, program manager and, and and myself were thrown around was uh, doing a Santa ride and I was like there's no way people have just Santa suits lying around or, or are going to go buy them and so we ended up you know we're we're going to do uh, kind of an ugly sweater bike ride instead but um, you're kind of making me regret that I didn't go that Santa route because uh, and and even calling it a rampage. <laughs> <laughs> I love the concept. I really want to do like an activation of like alleyways um, in Memphis and do whether it's like a walking tour or drive. I love that concept. Or the, Especially or the I think rampage tour. 
or the rampage tour because then i think you're showing people different kind of like pathways and ways they can navigate a city by like cutting through an alley yeah, it, this this project has been really cool here in town, and um, and they've had movie nights there. You know, when they opened it up, it was basically, you know, a huge you know block party, and um, they had thousands of people come out to it. It was uh, really a big deal, and um, you know that's that's River City Company. I think they're they they just do a fantastic job uh, with whatever they, they uh, put their minds to. And, um, and, and this one worked really well. So the, the exhibit actually brought in like artists from around the world. They, they were, they just op- opened up submissions, had artists submit their submissions and then brought in the artists that won those submissions. And I think they had, I don't know, four or five different alleyways with different exhibits and the exhibits are staying up for, um, almost an entire year and so um it's been really cool oh my gosh i'm googling it right now it's beautiful yeah it's great yeah so that'll be our last ride of the year we'll, we'll kind of um they're gonna have holiday we're gonna have people playing music they're gonna have you know i think some street food and stuff and we're gonna do a bike ride uh you know to kind of cruise around uh through the the alleys and and to check out the exhibits uh during the holidays and so I think I think it'll be pretty fun, and and I, we're all going to be wearing ugly sweaters, hopefully. But next year I might have to graduate up to uh, <laughs> suits. <laughs> I think so. Chris, are you going to be performing any music at the event? No, no, I'm 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 uh, I'm on sabbatical right you're, now. You're not you're not performing anymore. Well, I, I haven't performed in a while. It, really, since I moved to Chattanooga. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, I've, I've been a little bit more focused on career and um, and then the you know the advocacy stuff has really taken a front seat for me uh, in terms of where I spend my time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I ne- I never imagined three years ago that I would be you know leading this group already. I, I, I really, I really <laughs> don't. We all, I mean, we all can say that. <laughs> yeah, last, last man standing for sure. Yeah, no, um, we, we've all we've all been there. <laughs> Yeah, so, what so I mean, you play. Well, so you know, I was in, I was in kind of a college pop rock band uh, back when I, years ago when I was in college, and um, I, I kind of did some solo stuff um, after college, and and uh, before I left uh, South, uh, South Mississippi, you know, I partnered up with uh, this girl Lindsay Smith, and uh, we did, we were a duo, and we did kind of your i don't know guy girl duo what what guy girl duos do i mean they like harmonize and you know i don't know play folksy music and uh you know have some pop sensibilities to them and uh, she would let me, she would let me thrash a solo every now and then um you know so, but it was fun it was fun it was a uh, it was a uh, the group was called the salty sea and you know i still have Hundreds and hundreds of CDs left. If you guys want one, I'll mail you one. I, I moved to Colorado with hundreds of CDs from my old band. Maybe we I, could just swap them. What is the connection? I feel like probably at least thirty percent of the people we've had on the podcast are have, are also musicians. What's the? Is there like a correlation between music and bites? I mean, absolutely. I mean, if if. 
I think that there's probably a, a correlation also with beer. You know, it's well, just it's, yeah. it's just this natural correlation that exists that just the the coolest fringe of society <laughs> seem to settle into the same amazing hobbies, you know. <laughs> Music, beer, bikes. I'm not buying that argument, Chris. Uh, <laughs> what, what's, your, what's your theory, Kyle? You know, I think that's a good theory because you're right. We've had a lot of guests on here. Uh, I would say – I would sort of maybe pull it back a little bit and say there's a little less like musical interactions between bikes and music. I would more say there's a like a rock and roll connection potentially, like, like sort of narrowing it down a little bit. And you know, some of that has to do with – you know, the kinds of lifestyles that I think musicians, people who are like really dedicated to creating music kind of live. And I think bicycles lend themselves pretty nicely to that kind of lifestyle being a, you know, a very affordable alternative to, you know, moving around your town or whatever, um, by using bicycle. They also, they also happen to like run in the same kinds of circles, right. As like your, your like, Anarchist, bike punks, uh, you know, people who are like doing good work in your communities. I think there's a lot of synergy between the kinds of communities that rock and roll musicians run in and bike advocates move into. And I think, I think there's some natural, you know, some natural ten- tendencies to sort of, you know, try to figure out if you're not making money playing music, how can you make money? <laughs> and the, uh. the big money ticket is being a bike advocate. Yeah, as, totally. as we all know. As we all know, really bringing, bringing the big dollar sign. <laughs> well, I have to say, I never did a podcast as a musician, so maybe Kyle's right there. <laughs> Just gone. look at this new exposure through bike advocacy. Know, he's, ne- he's, never been, he's never been paid to do a podcast, and that continues to this day. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's kind of funny you were you're mentioning um, you're mentioning that um, you moved to Colorado with hundreds of CDs and yeah. you know when I first I, I've got a funny story about that when I first moved here um, I, I moved with hundreds of CDs and uh, my wife and I settled down into uh, downtown uh, here in like a 600 square foot apartment with no storage space at all. So we had to rent a storage unit, and we even packed that thing to the hilt. Uh, it was just boxes on boxes packed to the ceiling. And and so the first weekend I, I went home, one of my really good friends was getting married, and I took the hundreds and hundreds of CDs with me. And, um, you know, on our way on, – on, on my wife and I's way out of town, uh, I stopped by um, the, the girl that played with me, Lindsay uh, – And um, I stopped by her house, and I put the CDs on the porch. I piled them on the front porch right in front of the front door (laughs) and drove off. I didn't didn't knock on the door. I didn't say hey or anything. I drove off, and I left. And I I waited on a text, and I finally got a text like, did you leave these CDs at my door? (laughs) (laughs) They're your problem now. (laughs) You know what the problem with the CDs is? I mean, here's the thing. I... I I have you know personal copies. I don't need hundreds more of CDs to sort of fulfill any kind of sentimental or nostalgic voice. But I just don't know what to do with hundreds of the same CDs. Right? It feels it feels dirty to throw them away. To like to like put them in the trash and know that you've just sort of destroyed you know perfectly good musical CDs. Just that I just don't want to own them anymore. 
Can you recycle CDs? I don't know. Man, I've t- I've taken some. I mean, in the previous band, I've taken them to Goodwill. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. Look at that hot hot commodity there. I'm sure. uh, I, 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 Those, I they they probably a, just I, threw them away. <laughs> <laughs> they probably did, I, probably did what I, you and I can't, Chris. They just chunked them right in the trash. They, they probably did. They probably did. I, I also had a bandmate that ended up with uh, a lot of those CDs as well, and he was moving out one day, and he just threw those things in the trash. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, it's difficult, you know? I mean, you don't want to throw your own art away, but then at the same time, the, the, the more time goes on, the more you listen back to it, and it sounds like 1990s all over again, you know? <laughs> 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 you know what? What I sort of think about is like, oftentimes is not how many CDs I have left, but it, it's amazing how many we actually sold um, that I don't have to like carry around with me. Sometimes I, I, I try to think of it the other way to be a little more positive about you know moving moving with boxes of CDs. There's actually an organization called the CD Recycling Center of America where wow. you can mail your CDs oh. and they'll recycle them for you because that's a terribly efficient way to recycle yeah did you did you just google that i did uh, <laughs> chris, chris and i've been long pondering how to get, how to move these cds and sarah in, a, in an instant <laughs> just find out we had to ship you know pay hundreds of dollars to ship these boxes of cds yeah but you cannot recycle them like in your like town or waste management like recycling my conscience will be clean. Not as well. the right type of plastic, so don't try to throw them <laughs> in your recycling bins at home. This is a PSA now for all of our listeners. I think that's right. Part of the problem, I think, in Memphis was everybody like owned the, owned our CDs. I think here in Colorado, I might just start giving them out as like Christmas gifts. Oh, yeah. get, to, get to know Kyle a little better. Here, here's, here's, this, here's my this, like heavy here's metal. This record like I recorded a decade ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> You should also like include a picture when you had like long hair with it. Oh, well once once they open up once they open up the CD they'll see. Hi, I look Christmas past. Here's a CD from a decade ago. Baby face Kyle. It's been a long time since there was a baby face Kyle. I feel that. <laughs> hey, hey, Chris. So, uh, I so I know that. Uh, one of the city of Chattanooga's biggest advocates uh, working inside is one of the traffic engineers, Bert Kirkendall. And I also know that he was working in Hattiesburg as one of their traffic engineers. Were you and he collaborating together when you were doing advocacy in, in Hattiesburg? Yeah, yeah, we were. Um, and, then, Bert, and then you Bert. conspired to move him to Chattanooga? <laughs> Well, I did move here first, so I always make jokes that he followed me here. Yeah. Um, it's really – Bert and I are really good friends, and um, and so it's good. We, we kind of – he works you know, in the city side. I work on the advocacy side, you know, share information with each other, um, plotting and scheming. No, we don't do that. But, um, but he uh, – Bert actually started the group that – uh, back in Hattiesburg that was that m- went on to become the, the Pine Belt Pathways. And it was a bike and pedestrian advocacy group, you know, formed there out of this uh, national – what was it? A National Park Service grant? It was some sort of grant that brought in 
um, I think it was National Park Service, weirdly enough. They brought them in to uh, work on um, doing like a series of five charrettes to pull together this master plan for, you know, trails and pathways and bike uh, bike routes and uh, sidewalks and stuff. And uh, Bert spearheaded that, and Bert and I met through that and became uh, good friends. And I did all the, like I said, I did all the GIS mapping for it. Bert was the, the brains behind it with being an engineer. That went on to get him uh, hired as the city engineer there uh, for uh, the city of Hattiesburg. And I was already working for the city of Hattiesburg. So Bert and I actually started working together on, on these, these same types of projects. Mm. Um, Bert was instrumental in actually my move to Chattanooga. He was one of my references. He also, and he was a strong reference to, um, he also was the was really the only reason I looked into Chattanooga. One day I was frustrated in in, in closed doors, and he and I were having lunch. And he said, "You know, you ought to check it if you're if you're interested in moving to Tennessee, you ought to check out Chattanooga." At the time, I was looking at Nashville a good bit, and um, and so I ended up getting a job, or I ended up you know, applying for a job. He was my main. Uh, letter of recommendation. I ended up getting that job and moving. And then Bert turned around, you know, uh, shortly after I moved and had a lead on a job in Chattanooga. And so he said, Hey, how do you like Chattanooga? And I was like, well, you told me to move here. <laughs> you know, you told me it was amazing. <laughs> so anyway, through, through that, you know, he ended up moving, um, to, to Chattanooga and we ended up Oddly, we we work on very similar things now. Right now, I work on it, you know, just in my spare time since I have a day job. But um, and and we live on the same street in Chattanooga, <laughs> so it's That's a small crazy. world. Yeah, it's a small world. The world oh, is so small. You know, and I'm I met Bert when he was still in Hattiesburg, and I know that he was working on some protected bike lane project plans at the time. And now that he's moved to Chattanooga, he's actually implemented some protected bike lanes uh, in Chattanooga. How, how are those been going? Yeah, I mean, he's he's rocking and rolling. I mean, he is. Uh, I, you know, I'm I'm one of his biggest fans. Um, he's he put in the first neighborhood greenway here oh, yeah. in in the San Elmo neighborhood. It's called Virginia Avenue Greenway. Um, you know, he was instrumental in. Um, uh, putting in the first protected bike lanes in in uh, on Broad Street downtown, um, he's also put in you know a lot of other you know bike lanes here in town that are kind of off the beaten path but provide really good connectivity around town. And um, the city right now is working on this big project on uh, Martin Luther King. And he's pretty instrumental in in heading that project up. It'll it'll be essentially it'll be the first major connection uh, across uh, these across these bridges over into um, Highland Park and Orchard Knob, which is just east of downtown. Uh, the first you know major connection over there uh, that'll be dedicated facilities, and so it's much needed. And uh, he's been. You know, really instrumental in, in bringing bringing that aspect. You know, he created this bicycle implementation plan that 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 CDOT is looking at at trying to implement. He's just a, a huge bike advocate. So I can't I can't say enough great things about him. 
actually when I actually when I was invited to be on this podcast, I, you know, I, I happened to think that Burt Kirkendall should have been on here before me. He's he's the one that's making a lot of the movement, but. Um, you know, I couldn't resist talking to you guys. I just like no. this podcast. So no, much. no. I, I think and it's since you better. moved to Chattanooga first, we'll have him on after you. It, it, yeah. It's only fitting. I th- That's right. I, think I, have, I have seniority. Yeah, it'll be a good opportunity to sort of ask him how Chris Carr has influenced his life. Um, <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, I would say there was, um, I don't know, a couple years ago. At one of the Tennessee bike summits, uh, I gave a presentation about that was sort of directed to advocates, but it, but the subject of the of the presentation was really about the necessity for advocates to work very closely together with people with their allies and friends in the, whatever you know municipal government exists where they're actually at, and I think. If you look across the country and you see places that are doing really awesome things, there's this like one-two combo, right, of of advocates in the city working together in tandem, moving things forward uh, that that makes progress happen a lot faster um, compared to you know where compared to communities where advocates and the city government are oftentimes are, are at odds more than they're working together. Um, where those relationships aren't quite as firm. And I, and I always, that was something I always sort of prided myself on in Memphis is that I was working in the city, but, you know, every single day I was talking to advocates like John Paul or, uh, advocates like Anthony Syracuse and, you know, making sure that they knew what I was doing and I knew what they were doing so that we could, you know, be most effective by working together. It sounds like you've got that going on in Chattanooga. Yeah, we we really have a good synergy, you know, um, with, with Bert and uh, and you know the director of C dot Blythe Bailey, uh, you know they're doing great things over there, and um, and we, um, you know, we stay in touch often. We're called upon often from them when they need a, a different perspective, you know, when they need you know uh, some public input. Mm-hmm. Um, We've got a great working relationship, and I, and I, and I'm I'm really glad, you know, that that things are, you know, so harmonious, you know, between us being the bike advocates in the city. Um, the thing that's a little bit more challenging in Chattanooga is that there, you know, there there are there are some other challenges from people that live maybe um, in some of the outskirts of Chattanooga that that commute that that don't understand as much you know um, the value behind you know dedicated infrastructure for for bicycling and and why the city would be putting you know money behind it and um, and she and so you know it's nice that at least the city and the bike advocates kind of are are connected and and thinking the same thing so that we can at least have um somewhat of a represented you know public voice that um you know and giving them a pat on the back and saying what you guys are doing is exactly what we want and we can't thank you enough and i mean i've, I've written later letters to the mayor before i've taken you know Blythe and bird out and bought them beers and just tell them you got i can't thank you guys enough please keep doing what you're doing you know so it's it's been great uh working with them well, Chris, this has been a really great conversation. We appreciate you taking time out of your day to chat with us and nerd out about Chattanooga. So thanks for joining us. Oh, man. Thanks. Thanks a lot for having me. I, I, I can't thank you enough, you know, for, for pulling me on and, and allowing me to blabber about things that I'm passionate about. And, and um, 
I really uh, kudos to you guys for the podcast. I think you're doing a great job, and I can't wait to continue listening, you know, to to other perspectives, you know, from around around the country. Yeah, and make sure uh, make sure you listen to your own perspective, Chris. Uh, <laughs> I, I may not be listening to this. I mean, it just depends. <laughs> I don't need I don't need to listen to myself say that over again. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Hey, man. Well, I'm looking forward to, you know, continuing to watch the, the good things happen in Chattanooga. You know, thanks for uh, thanks for your service and your friendship and all that you're doing for the city. Well, thanks a lot, guys. The Bike Nerds podcast is a joint production of the Bike Nerds, Sarah and Kyle and the OEM Network based in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, visit the OEM Network dot com slash the Bike Nerds. Want to nerd out more? Find us on the Web at thebikenerdspodcast.com on Twitter at The Bike Nerds and on Facebook The Bike Nerds Podcast. Drop us a note or recommend another bike nerd to have on the show by sending us an email at thebikenerdspodcast at gmail.com.